Hey Beacon, uh, it's so good to be able to come together with you and to worship God by listening to the word of the Lord um, and to have fellowship with each other in Christ. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Seichi. Um, it is a tremendous blessing to be a part of Beacon, um, to be with college students and college age um, people here at Lighthouse. Um, it's a joy to witness and see how many of you as college students are loving God and seeking ways to love people well. I mean, that continues um, to be the case. It's, it's true even now as we're a few weeks in, um, in this time of staying at home. But with being at home much longer and having to refrain from doing a lot of things that we're used to doing outside, um, there are many challenges. And those around us uh, with job losses, businesses suffering, Healthcare workers and store clerks risking their health, they are certainly carrying huge burdens, um, facing real challenges. But so are you. Um, and, and though the degree of difficulty may vary, um, what you are challenged with right now is a part of the various trials that James talks about. So I want to ask you, how has this circumstance, with all its attendant challenges, brought out sins in your heart? old habits of sin cloaked in a familiar garb, or they might be expressed in, in new ways. Sexual immorality, impurity, lack of self-control, anger, being short with your folks at home, letting bitterness fester, discontentment, laziness, selfish use of time, little love for others, little love for God's word, to hear what he has said, to take it in, to meditate on it, and then to speak to him. How has this time, being at home much longer than you used to, and maybe more than you'd like, how has that exposed the sinful desires and tendencies of your heart? But Beacon, it shouldn't end there, right? Not just um, being exposed of what's going on in our hearts, um, but to identify where we've fallen short, and then what are you going to do about it? Uh, we must respond to what is going on in our hearts. Beacon, we're going to look at James and continue where we left off uh, because it's such an appropriate passage. It's timely. And if we let it, it will be so helpful to us. So my exhortation to you is that you would let the word of God search you tonight. Let it help you see where you might have fallen short um, in those places in your life where there's a potential to stumble. And then finally, let the word of God give you the hope and the help that you need. Look in your Bibles then with me to James chapter 3. Um, we'll be looking at chapter 3 verses 13 to chapter 4, verses 12. This is how I've stated the key idea of our passage. Demonstrate wisdom from above by a life of humility before God and peace with others. This is the key idea. Demonstrate wisdom from above by a life of humility before God and peace with others. I put it this way because of what James says in verse 13. He writes, 
Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. James is asking his readers, you think you're wise? Well then, show me. He's really building off of what he's already been saying. In chapter 2, he says, you say you have faith? Then show me by your works. In chapter 3, your words show your nature and what's really going on inside. So if you destroy people with your words and you're inconsistent with what you say to people and how you say them, then what is that really saying about your so-called faith? So if you claim to be a believer in Jesus and you say you possess wisdom, then you'll show wisdom by the way you live your life. According to James, that means you do works in the meekness of wisdom. And that's why I say this whole passage can be summed up in this way. Demonstrate, show that you have wisdom. Wisdom from above, wisdom that is heavenly, that is true, that is biblical. Show that by a life of one, humility before God, and two, peace with others. So we'll take a look at these two parts. Um, Humility before God is foundational and it's most important. That's what produces peace with others. But we'll first look at peace with others because that is how it's presented in that order in this letter. So peace with others. Let's look back at verse 13. James tells us our works are to be done in the meekness of wisdom. In other words, meekness and wisdom, they go hand in hand. Humility and wisdom, they're inseparable. They're close friends. You can't have one without the other. Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. If you boast that you have wisdom and yet your heart is given over to bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, then you are false to the truth. What does that mean to be false to the truth? It means that you are misrepresenting true wisdom what it really is, and what it does. James says in verses 15 and 16, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Why? How can, how can you, James, say that the wisdom I have is, is not true wisdom? Oh, verse 16, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Wisdom is incompatible with disorder and evil. There are two kinds of wisdom, and if you have the one that's characterized by divisiveness, strife, slander, and all kinds of evil, then you don't have the wisdom that's from above. And James here, he knows what's going on in the lives of his readers. In chapter 4, the first two verses, James brings attention to how their internal sins of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, how they are producing external acts of evil among them. He says in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Now, if you look at verse 2, 
with regard to murder. Um, was murder actually taking place among this group of Christians? I think he's speaking hyperbolically here. Um, and the point that James is really trying to make here is this. To any group of Christians, and to you, Beacon, look at your relationships. If you're quarreling, being argumentative, contentious, divisive, fighting, slandering, if there's messiness and ugliness in your relationships, then somebody is not acting in true wisdom. One or both parties are thinking and living in such a way that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. What do those characteristics mean? It means that your thoughts are restricted merely to what you can see and what you want instead of heaven and the righteousness of God. It means that your thoughts are restricted to what you know of the world and how the world works instead of thinking in accord with how God works, His ways, and His sovereignty. It means that you're focused only on the horizontal dimension, only on the people-to-people relationships, instead of discerning what God wills and what God wants for those relationships. It means that instead of letting God's truth determine how you live, your feelings drive you. Instead of letting God's truth determine how you think, man's reasoning reigns supreme and you become the authority. You determine what is true and what's not, what is good and what's evil. Jude says this in verse 19, It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. This world for worldly is the same as here in James, for unspiritual. Beacon, I want to ask you, how are your relationships with people at this time? You know, being back home now for several weeks, have you struggled with relational conflict and tension in your home? Um, It could be with your parents, or with siblings, or with housemates. And I've been at my parents' house since last summer, and I know that I've certainly struggled at times since being there. Now, I don't think any self-professing believer would want to admit to having this kind of demonic wisdom. But as we'll see later in this text, there's grace when we call it what it is. When we confess, Father, I've been driven by the wisdom of the world, and it's brought divisiveness and strife into my relationships with people. Father, forgive me for not trusting in your sovereignty, but wanting to live life my way and not according to your wisdom in scripture. Forgive me for not reflecting your patience wanting to take matters into my own hands and wanting good things to happen, but according to my timetable. Forgive me for being so discontent and miserable because I'm dwelling on what I don't have and what I don't get to do, and I'm refusing to see what you have abundantly provided for me and giving thanks for them. Forgive me for not submitting to your kingship I'm in wanting to promote my own name and my own little kingdom 
instead of seeking yours? Beacon, um, are these confessions um, characterizing your prayer life, especially when you fall? Maybe for you, um, there hasn't been much interaction with people in your home. And I'm not pressing necessarily that you do, uh, because we all have different home situations, different kinds of people we're living with, believers, unbelievers, professing believers who may or may not really know the Lord. Um, But still, for those people in your home, and also for those in your life that you're able to talk with through uh, video calls, I want to let the Word of God speak into those relationships. Because it doesn't just say, don't be controlled by the wrong kind of wisdom. It says that you should be characterized by wisdom from above. And that will be expressed in interactions that are active and intentional. Why do I say active and intentional? I say that because it it just doesn't happen naturally uh, for sinful people to, like it says in verse 17, to be pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. But if you are characterized by wisdom from above, and that should be the case for all Christians, then verse 17 should have your name on it. It should have my name on it. Notice that in verse 17, wisdom is first described as pure, moral blamelessness, meaning that it is first and foremost vertical, concerned with what God has determined is right and wrong, good and evil. This purity is what you bring in your interactions with others. It characterizes all that heavenly wisdom produces. So let's go through this list and and think with me. Are these fruits of wisdom evident in my interactions with people? Are you peaceable? Or with some people, are you contentious? Are you more concerned about being right than about trusting in God that he will do whatever he pleases with the truth that you speak in love? Are you gentle, willing to yield to others? Or are you unwilling to let go of your preferences and others are forced to bend to yours? Are you open to reason, which can also be translated easily persuaded? That doesn't mean that you are naive and gullible, but easily persuaded in the sense that you're willing to defer to others on preferential matters, but not those on your core theological beliefs and moral principles. Next, are you full of mercy and good fruits, extending yourself out in love for your neighbor? Or are you too concerned with your own little world so that you hardly reach out to others in love? Are you impartial or do you treat well only those who treat you well and have some benefit to you? Lastly, are you sincere, literally without play acting? You don't have divided loyalties. You're not courting the world. As someone who isn't giving a pretense, you're consistent, you're transparent, you are trustworthy. Now this kind of virtuous conduct is produced by peacemakers. And James says this in verse 18. He says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
And this is what he says essentially back in verse 18, chapter 1, verse 18. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Righteous conduct doesn't follow or thrive when there's sinful anger going on in your heart. Jesus himself says in Matthew 5, 9, this is one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Sons of God. And this is why wisdom from above is so important. And this is why we pray constantly for that wisdom. And this is why James says at the beginning of his letter in chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. This is what it means to be a child of God, a son and daughter of God. We are dependent on our Father. And he is generous to give us the wisdom that we ask for. The question is, are we showing our dependence on our Father by asking for wisdom? And are we asking it in faith? Which means we do it because our ambition is to please God and not to feed our own selfish, sinful, sinful ego. James says in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, You do not have. Why? Because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Beacon, how has pride manifested during this time staying at home? And one way it rears its ugly head is when you don't pray. In other words, you don't ask God. People who are independent of God and they go about their days autonomously, they don't acknowledge their need for God. They don't turn to the Lord. They don't thank Him. They don't worship Him because of His greatness. Perilous people are prideful people. Are you spending your days as though you can live life on your own? Another way pride is manifest is uh, manifested is when you're slandering other believers. Look with me to chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you? to judge your neighbor. Notice that. It is arrogance. Who are you to judge your neighbor? And judge in that context really means to condemn. Because the Bible tells us that we need to judge in a sense. Um, that kind of judging, the one that's appropriate, is when we have to discern if the brothers and sisters in our lives are in sin. We have to assess that. We have to judge that. But the kind of judging that James is talking about here is condemning. So when you are uttering words that are slanderous against people, you are speaking and slandering the law. Why is that? Because the law says, he says this in chapter 2, the, the royal law of love. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is why when we slander and judge a brother, we are slandering and judging the law. When only God has the authoritative role 
of, be, of being the judge. When I was a college student, I had to confess that I uh, acted and thought and, and lived uh, according to the wisdom of the world. And by the grace of God, like many of you right now in college, you're growing in biblical knowledge and understanding of his word. You're growing with the people of God and enjoying fellowship. Um, and for me, um, as I grew in my convictions of what the Bible teaches, I came to believe and to come to this position um, that when the Bible talks about being baptized with the Spirit, baptism of the Spirit, that I don't think that it refers to a second blessing after you become a Christian. And it is evident when you speak in tongues. And I say this because uh, my mother, um, she was saved in Japan in her early 20s. And she came to know the Lord in a, in a Pentecostal church. And I praise God for how she came to know the Lord. Um, but she holds to this, uh, she held to this belief of baptism of the Spirit. And so in college, to my shame, um, it wasn't as though I was super combative, um, but I, there were times when I became contentious and argumentative. Um, and I desired um, something that was good. Um, my desires were, were good in that I wanted each of us to understand the truth and submit to it and, and let that truth um, inform how we live. And I wanted that so desperately for my mom um, because I love her. And you, you want the same for those close to you. You want to um, hold to the same truths. Um, but what was wrong for me was that I wasn't trusting God that he would teach and he would grant understanding in his time. What was wrong for me was that I wanted to see change uh, the way I wanted to see it according to my timetable. What was wrong was that in our discussions, I wanted to have the final word and I didn't want to be silent when it was the better thing to do. Um, but praise God because he gives us abundant grace and he not only restores broken relationships, but um, reconciles and, and strengthens those relationships. Um, but that can only happen one way. And that one way is when we humble ourselves and submit to the Lord. And that's our second section. Uh, we've looked at peace with others. Uh, now we look at humility before God. I would say chapter 4 verses 1 to 10 is, is really the heart of James's letter. This is the peak. This is where he's been leading up to. He begins by saying in verse 4, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Look at what he calls them, how he addresses them. You adulterous people. And this should be jolting. And this should be arresting. Up to this point, he's been calling them my brethren, brothers, brothers, again and again. We're not sure if James's readers, even some of them, if they were willfully and knowingly choosing the world against God. But what we do know for sure is how they live their lives. Their lives are characterized by discrimination against people, as we saw in chapter 2. 
Their lives are characterized by destructive words, slandering words. Their conduct was driven by envy um, and selfish ambition. And no matter what you say, if that is your life, then you are conveying that you are a friend of the world. And this is such an awful thought to claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, to be a a friend of God, and yet the Word of God tells you that you are a friend of the world, an enemy of God. This is what sin does to us. It clouds our judgment. It clouds our vision. We're not able to assess even our own condition. Sin takes what is good, desires that are good in themselves, and twists them so that they serve and exalt self instead of God. And James goes on in verse 5. The translation that I prefer goes like this. Do you suppose that the scripture speaks to no purpose? Does the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us long enviously? The human spirit that God has given to us, they were created to yearn and long and desire intensely. But the problem is, it wasn't created to yearn toward envy. It wasn't created so that we would lust in a sinful way. But, verse 6 says, even if that were the case, God gives more grace. His grace is greater. His grace exceeds and far surpasses our inclinations and propensity towards sin. Verse 6 continues, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. James quotes an Old Testament proverb. How can you reorient your desires and affections so that they are intense and burning for God and God alone? It's only by his grace. How can you receive this grace? Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. In verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord. You can receive this grace only through humility. Let me read our final verses. This can be taken together from verses 7 to 10. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Peter says essentially the same thing in 1 Peter 5, verses 5 to 9. Let me read that passage to you. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Peter and James, they were both written um, earlier among the letters of the New Testament. This is a Christian call to repentance to the early church. 
But this exhortation for believers to repent, it's not needed only in, in that first generation of believers. It is needed in any and every generation in the church because worldliness always creeps in to the church of God. The devil is still alive and he is always scheming. He is never on break. That's what we must resist him. John says, do not love the world. Jesus says, you are not of the world. Brothers and sisters, we must not underestimate the alluring power of the world. If you want to know the joy of enduring faith, the kind of faith that perseveres under trial, you can't do it apart from the grace of wisdom that God gives to his people. And he will give it to the humble, to those who draw near to him, not away from him, to those, um, he, he doesn't give to those who are mindless about God, but mindful of him. This grace is given to those who cleanse their hands and purify their hearts. Those who repent both in external behavior, that's cleansing your hands, and those who repent in internal attitude, that's purifying your heart. It will be given to those who grieve over their love of the world and over their unrepentant state. I remember um, in, as, as a freshman in college at UCLA, I would go to North Campus and to go to this library called YRL um, on the second, um, third, fourth floors. Um, if you go to the edges of the building, um, and some of you know this uh, at UCLA, you find desks there, I hope it's still there, that are uh, lined up against the walls, um, the, uh, against the windows. And I used to go there because it's quiet, um, and uh, there were some people there, um, but not a whole lot. And it was uh, the perfect place. It was con conducive to studying. Um, and as a freshman, I um, was really into Japanese manga, um, and I would read it. And uh, I remember even feeling super excited for Wednesdays because um, that's when the newest issue would come out. Um, but uh, there was a point when I started a new series, and I would go to YRL, go to that room, um, and hardly anyone's around me, and I would read hours and hours of this new series, and I was hooked. Um, and at some point, I needed to humble myself before the Lord, and I needed to confess this is what's going on in my heart. Uh, I was loving myself uh, more than I was loving God and loving people. Um, and I prayed and I had to uh, confess also to those in my small group um, because I wanted to um, let them keep me accountable. And I, I needed um, their help. I mean, I needed them to pray for me. Um, and I, I rejoice that the Lord had taken me out of that kind of self-indulgence and let me experience his grace um, through more fellowship with people and being able to serve others um, and being more in his word and to grow because of what he taught me through his word. Um, and that couldn't have happened if I continued to indulge in my own 
desires, which didn't start off bad, um, but when those desires became inordinate, excessive, um, then I became consumed with self instead of um, being mindful and consumed with the things of God. Beacon, um, the goal of this message uh, is not only that you would be able to see with greater clarity those sins in your life or areas in your life where you might be tempted to fall, um, but it is also um, to let the Word of God give you the hope and help you need. Um, how will you show your humble dependence on God and pursue others peaceably? Think specifically. And I, I want to encourage you to do that even with those in your small group um, as you pray and plan. When will you read his word? Um, in the morning when you wake up? After the last class of your day? After work? What portion of his word will you read? Uh, will, you read uh, will you write on the margins of your Bible or in a journal as you read? And what else will you read? Articles? Uh, blogs? Um, books? Will you read uh, with others and will you talk about what you read with others? How will you turn to God um, as you think about facing your weaknesses um, and your temptations and, and your sins? When will you pray? Um, what will you pray? How will you pray? Will you use a prayer journal, uh, cards, an app where you keep uh, all your prayer requests? Will you pray with others? Will you ask other people to pray for you? What about uh, not just humbling yourself before God, but before others? Um, pursuing others in love peaceably. Who comes to mind when you think of someone you can love this weekend or next week? A believer? An unbeliever? Someone difficult to love? Uh, someone who might not be as connected to Beacon or Lighthouse? Someone in your family? Now, what do your prayers for this person sound like? Um, do you thank God for them in their faith? Um, do you pray that they would continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of their Lord and Savior? Um, and if this person doesn't know Christ, do you pray um, that they will be given a heart of faith and repentance? Finally, uh, to conclude, um, I want to bring to your attention just five points of remembrance um, this is all from James. Um, I hope that these will be helpful for you. First, remember that grace is greater. Are you feeling stuck in sin? Remember that that sin does not define your life. Remember that grace is greater to help you overcome those sins and to free yourself from a lifestyle of that sin. Do you believe in that? Do you believe that the grace of God is stronger, is abundant, it is greater than those sinful tendencies of your heart? Secondly, remember that God gives generously. But we must ask and keep asking in faith. Um, we must turn to the Lord regularly and consistently asking him for the wisdom uh, from above, the kind of wisdom that is characterized, that is first pure, um, but also peaceable and gentle, 
That is the kind of wisdom that our Heavenly Father loves to give to us. Thirdly, remember what God has already given. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Remember the blessings and the riches that we already enjoy in Christ. Remember the new identity that God has given to you as His child. And let that remembrance of the good gifts of God lead you to thank Him. Fourthly, remember what God will give. Uh, Remember that uh, the person who perseveres under trial that person will receive the crown of life. And let that be your hope. And let that be your yearning and longing and um, expectation. Not yearning jealously um, for the things of the world, not with envy, but yearning for, for that hope that will come to fruition, that will be realized at the coming of our Lord. And finally, remember Christ. Remember our Savior, who is wisdom incarnate. Remember Him who is meek and who is lowly, who is full of grace and truth. Remember Him, our leader, our champion, our Savior, our Lord, the one who, um, for the joy set before Him, endured the cross. Remember Christ, um, our God and our Savior. Remember these five things, that grace is greater, that God gives generously, what God has already given and what he will give in the Christ whom he has given to us. It is when we remember these things that we can humble ourselves before God, repent of our sins and humble ourselves before others and pursue them in peace. Uh, Let me pray for us. Our gracious God and Father in heaven, uh, we need you. We are utterly and absolutely dependent on you. Forgive us, God, if we have spent our days um, prayerless um, and wordless, um, if we have not been turning to you. Lord, we turn to you now and we, we turn with others who love you. Um, And we want to receive abundantly this grace that you have for those who are humble. Um, And and we need your heavenly wisdom. Otherwise, we cannot live in a way that is pleasing to you. Otherwise, we will indulge um, in sinful, selfish desires, which will lead to our misery and ruin. So God, help us now. And I pray that you would bless uh, the conversation that can happen in our small groups. Lord, would you use that time for the edification of your people and for your glory. In your son's precious name, amen.